Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. When it comes to planning for retirement, there are a lot of things to consider. While some people aim for a certain age, others want to have a specific amount of money saved. In fact, retirement is so much more than just an arbitrary number. It's a major life transition that requires years of preparation. My guest today is Deborah Lewis, a professional certified financial planner. She's going to talk about the importance of making a checklist to help focus on the more important aspects of planning for retirement, including common mistakes to avoid. She'll also discuss issues to remember and assess frequently after retirement to ensure financial stability and reduce mental stress. So welcome, Debbie, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Cheryl, for inviting me on the show. I do have a passion for helping people understand their finances. I've been helping clients manage their investment assets and plan for a secure retirement for almost 30 years. A funny story, a few years ago at a dinner party, my mother told a story about when I was in kindergarten and learning about money. And apparently we had opened a savings account for me. And every time I got a few dollars, I wanted to run down to the bank and deposit it. And they would stamp my savings passbook. You remember those days? Anyway, at the end of the school year, apparently I had saved enough money to buy a bicycle. And I wanted to take the bicycle to school to show the other kids that if they saved money the way that I saved money, then they could have a bicycle too. So I I think I was a budding financial advisor at the age of six. Good for you. Well, see, obviously (laughs) you knew already at that age what you were going to be when you grew up. So, And with that wonderful introduction, I want to add then, at what age should older adults begin thinking about retirement? I mean, obviously you don't have to start as early as six, but it's a good idea to start saving early and and save as much as you can comfortably afford. Things have changed. Years ago, people might retire at 65, their mortgage was paid off, their kids were financially independent, they had social security and a nice pension, and then retirement didn't last that long, maybe 10 years. Now, people live longer, some retire early, some work longer, some work part-time before they retire. Grown children might need help, parents might need help. People might spend nearly as many years in retirement as they did during their working years. And so there's a lot more variables, a lot more uncertainty. When we talk about retirement planning now, we talk about 
setting yourself up so that work is optional. That way you can keep working if you want to, but you'll be financially secure if something happens with your job, your family, your health that results in an unplanned retirement date. So what I'm hearing you say, Debbie, is, is that before retirement, older adults need to estimate their retirement goals and their financial needs. Would, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. The, the question I'm asked most often is, how much do I need to save for retirement? So there are a lot of online calculators that you can use, but any of them involve inputting certain assumptions. And one of the key assumptions is, what will your income needs be in retirement? Often we'll use 70 to 80% of current income. That's considered a good rule of thumb, but each person or couple's needs might vary depending on what their current lifestyle is, how much they're saving, what your plans are for retirement. Um, for example, are you planning to relocate? Might you work part-time? Do you wanna travel extensively? It's a good idea to start out by estimating what your fixed expenses might be and then factoring in how much you'd like available for discretionary expenses. Other factors the calculators take into account, how much will the account earn? What will the taxes be? How long does the money need to last? If you go to my website, it's deborahllewis.com, D-E-B-O-R-A-H-L-L-E-W-I-S, you can find a retirement savings calculator under resources. It doesn't take into account all of the factors, but it can give you an idea whether you're on track. Um, and I'd say regardless of what the calculators or the financial advisors say, save more if possible. Then that gives you a hedge against you know, inflation, investment losses, times that you might be unemployed, some serious illness, other challenges to your savings. Um, and please remember that the advice I'm giving is general in nature. Listeners obviously want to consult with their professional advisors before they implement any planning strategies. And what I'm hearing you say also, because there's so many facets that you're discussing here, primarily related to financial needs, can you talk a little bit about what other considerations do older adults need to think about uh, and think through before retirement? Maybe if they have a job or they are much busier and this kind of thing. What, what do um, people who are thinking about retirement need to think to assess as they contemplate retirement? As you said in the introduction, retirement is a significant life transition. And aside from figuring out whether you can afford to retire, you want to think about how will you spend your time? How will you contribute to society if that's, if that's important to you? How will you keep your mind and your body fit? Will you travel extensively? Will you babysit your kids, your grandkids, Monday to Friday? Um, do you have volunteer interests? Will you spend more time on a hobby, more time on the golf course, socializing with friends? If you can envision what your life in retirement might be like, it will help you to prepare mentally for that transition. It also might help you estimate what your retirement income needs might be. When people are working, they often spend the most money on a Saturday. So 
what happens to your expenses when every day is Saturday. And I think also to that point, Debbie, just in terms of figuring out what what's going to get you up in the morning, it's a real transition from being in the office all day and perhaps even having a, a title of, of, of some sort of a way that people recognize you because of your association with an organization that that will no longer be the case. Now you will be John Q. Citizen or Mary Q. Citizen, and that may mentally have uh, an effect on whether or not you want to quickly retire or stay in your position or whatever as long as possible. Do you find that as well? Yeah, I I think it is hard for some people to to let go of that identity and to kind of, I don't know if recreate themselves, but to, to find new purpose in life. It can be exciting for some, but, you know, a little bit daunting for others. Okay, well, let's uh, move back into the financial realm. Do you recommend or is it a good idea to uh, have a plan where there might be income generated during retirement? What situations might warrant uh, having that um, expectation of, of additional income still coming in after retirement? The best way, I think, to start is identifying first what your fixed income sources might be. That's things like social security, whenever you start that, if you have a pension, if you have any annuities set up. Then you want to look at what are your basic monthly expenses. And those are things like housing, food, utilities, um, taxes, insurance, clothing, healthcare, things like that. Compare those monthly expenses to the total monthly income and see if you need to generate additional income. If your income sources are lower than your basic expenses, and in this area, if you don't have a pension, they're, they're likely to be, it might be helpful to automate the income that you need to cover the gap. And you could do that with an income annuity. You could take your dividends in cash. You could set up automatic distributions from some of your assets, taking a fixed amount each month. What we find is it's a lot easier to manage ongoing steady income than it is to decide each month how much were you going to withdraw and from which account. Um, if you have a steady income, it allows you to breathe a little bit better. And then you can have your other assets available for those periodic distribution expense, discretionary expenses. And I'm wondering whether, I mean, you're sharing all this really good information as a financial professional. Do you recommend that it is helpful to have a financial professional help prepare for retirement? That even if it's a one-time only uh, situation or more often, what, what do you recommend in terms of seeking professional help in terms of finances? Sure. Um, one of the primary benefits that a financial professional can, can provide is to help you prepare for retirement. Um, they can help you review your current accounts, determine what your goals are, what your needs are. Um, they can help you to determine if you are on track for retirement, what the variables are to, to factor in. 
whether your assets are properly allocated across different investment categories um, and other ways that you might, you know, look at saving money or planning for retirement. They can also serve as a, a sounding board and help you to manage your emotions when it comes to making financial decisions. When the stock market was down last year, I had calls from clients saying they were worried. Should they make changes to their investments? And we were able to talk through why they had chosen the current investments, how they had performed in the past, how they stacked up currently to other similar investments, and whether a change was necessary. And in most cases, they decided to ride out the volatility, and now things have improved. And if a person uh, who is, again, thinking about uh, retiring, if they are still employed, is it a good thing if they have invested in some kind of a workplace employment retirement plan? Maybe they have, maybe they haven't. But you could talk a little bit more about that, because if it's a younger, older adult, perhaps they need to hear about it. And then explain how that same retirement plan that they got while they were still employed can help after employment. I think this is an important concept that older adults need to know, since some of them are even working uh, for more years than perhaps in the past, as you had mentioned earlier. Absolutely. If, if you are working for a company that offers a 401k, a 403b, similar retirement plan, that's a great place to save for retirement at, at any age. Uh, the employer plan has the advantage that it's automatically deducted from your paycheck, and you might qualify for employer matching funds, so whether you've saved for, for many years or you just haven't been a saver up to this point for various reasons and now maybe you have that opportunity, that's a good idea. Any money that you've saved in a retirement account, that provides more retirement security and more flexibility when you are retired because then you can draw on those funds. Um, then when you leave that employer, often it's recommended that you roll over the account to an individual retirement account that might offer more investment options and make it easier to distribute the money once you are retired. And thank you for that segue. So if a person does, as you had suggested, of rolling that over into an, an individual retirement plan, talk about that. What, what are individual retirement plans? That's assuming that that's something that one would have after they retire. So explain a little bit more. Are there different types? What what do we need to know? Aside from the rollovers, which if you're going from a 401k would go into an IRA, anyone who has income from a job or who has a working spouse, even if they're retired, can open up an individual retirement plan, such as an IRA or a Roth IRA. Um, Currently, each person can contribute up to $6,500 annually. And if the person is over age 50 this year, then they can contribute an additional $1,000. Here's the differences between those two plans. When you're contributing to an IRA, it may be tax deductible, depending on your income and depending on whether you have, you or your spouse, have an employer plan available. Then when you withdraw the money, you would pay taxes at a later point. 
In contrast, contributions to a Roth IRA are not tax deductible now, but then when you take money out in retirement, the distributions are tax-free. Um, Roth IRAs do have income limits, so people in higher income brackets might not be eligible. Um, another option is that you can convert money from an IRA into a Roth IRA. That means you would pay taxes on the amount you convert now. So you may not want to do it on the whole account, but you pay taxes on some of it now. And then the future distributions can be tax-free. Okay. And I just wanted to make sure. So Roth, that's R-O-T-H, right? Correct. I had seen that myself, but that's those are the two different types, correct? Yes. The IRA. So to that point then, a person has these individual retirement plans. What what factors then would older adults need to think about when managing their retirement accounts? Are there certain suggestions or rules that um, folks should consider now that they have these accounts available for uh, for income? Sure. There are a, a few different factors to think about with regard to retirement accounts. Um, as we talked about with the IRAs and the Roth IRAs, taxes are an important consideration. When it comes to investments, there are actually three possible tax benefits. Um, it could be pre-tax, like an IRA, meaning you don't pay taxes on the money you invest. Tax deferred, like both of those accounts, meaning that you're not paying taxes on the money while it's growing. And then tax-free, like a Roth IRA, meaning that you don't pay taxes when you withdraw the money. Now, perfect investment would have all three options. Unfortunately, there aren't investment options that do offer all three. So it's a good idea to have a variety of options that gives you what we call tax diversification. And then that way, when you're drawing the money out of the accounts, you may have some that are taxable, some that are tax-free, some that are a little bit of each, and you can adjust which account you're going to take the money from depending on your taxable income that year and the current tax rates. Um, aside from taxes, inflation is another factor. As we've seen recently, the cost of living can escalate over time. So you, you want to have investments that are growing at a faster pace than inflation. Otherwise, your money will buy less in retirement than it would today. Um, a third factor is longevity. The calculators will ask, how long do you need the money to last? People sometimes underestimate that. You want to remember that it's not uncommon for people to live longer than their parents, and you don't want to underestimate your life expectancy. Um, there's also some important milestones related to retirement planning. We talked about age 50 being when you could put extra money into an IRA or a Roth IRA. It's also the age where you could put what they call catch-up contributions into a 401k, um, age 55. If you do retire early, you can withdraw money from a 401k without tax penalties at age 55. And then, of course, 59 and a half, that's the age when you can withdraw money from retirement accounts without tax penalties. Uh, there are other ages that are related to Social Security and Medicare that I think we'll, we'll touch on later. That's correct. And I, you were mentioning investments, and I wanted to touch on that a little bit more. If, if an older adult can afford to make 
uh, investments. What do they need to know about allocation of these investments? And kind of an added question to that, I think sometimes older adults think that um, or prefer or decide to make their own investments, whereas others may be able to afford working with uh, some kind of a, a financial advisor. So it's kind of a two-part question. What about investments? What? How do people decide? And should they also seek assistance from professionals who can maybe help make those decisions about allocations? What should we know? Studies have, have shown that the number one factor in why one investment account performs better over time than another is asset allocation. And that refers to how the money is split up across different categories, um, maybe stocks, bonds, balanced types of accounts, international accounts, fixed, fixed accounts. So when you're looking at your asset allocation, there's two factors that can help you determine how you should allocate your own accounts. The first one is called risk tolerance. Um, there's questionnaires that can help you determine if you're sort of a conservative investor, a moderate investor, an aggressive investor, or somewhere in between. And you want the level of risk or, or volatility in your account to be within your comfort zone, because if it's not, then you might be tempted to cash out of investments when the stock market has a downturn and then that results in a lower account balance later on. Um, if your money's invested too conservatively on the other end, it might not keep up with inflation, which we talked about. And the second factor in figuring out your asset allocation is the time frame until when you wanna access the account. The shorter the time frame is, the less risk you'll wanna take in your accounts. Um, Investment advisors can help you with this type of thing. I'll give an example. A few years ago, I met with an existing client and his new wife, and she had changed jobs. She wanted to discuss rolling over her 401k. I looked at the statement, and I was surprised to see that the entire balance was invested in an emerging markets stock fund, which is a, a fairly risky investment. And I said, how... How did this happen? And she said, well, when she first enrolled, she looked at the options and that was the one that had the highest return. So she just went with that. She'd worked there for 10 years or so and she never changed it. And I guess she never looked at it because it would have been rather, rather volatile. Fortunately, she had several years to go before retirement and we could readjust to a more appropriate allocation going forward. Um, but that's I'd say one of the benefits that working with an advisor can help is to know what all your options are and how to balance your account. And I would think, too, that maybe as people get older, if they are thinking about investments and they have the money to to uh, allocate uh, some of their money in investments, maybe as they get to a certain age, and I, that's why I wanted to ask you, would it be better to become more conservative as you had you were giving these various categories and risk factors that as they get older and they might need money maybe for long-term care if they are not you know especially if they are self-insured is is that important consideration debbie yeah it's it's generally advisable that you 
reduce the risk as you age. Um, it doesn't mean that you become a more conservative investor. You can be a conservative 25-year-old investor. You can be an aggressive 85-year-old investor. But the time frame, that second factor, will encourage you to, to reduce the risk. It's a good idea for anyone with investments to do some sort of periodic review on them, either on your own or with an advisor, to see if you're on track. If the allocation is still appropriate for your risk tolerance in your time frame, and if the investments you've selected are performing well compared to the other options that you have. Um, for example, one, one popular option these days in retirement accounts is what's called target date funds. These are mutual funds that are comprised of a mix of other mutual funds, and they have an allocation that's designed to be appropriate for a certain time horizon. So automatically, the investments are shifted over time to become more conservative as you, as you approach that target date. Um, they don't take risk tolerance into account, so you might want to adjust it if you're a more conservative or aggressive investor choose a date that doesn't necessarily correspond exactly to your retirement date. Um, but it is a far simpler way to handle asset allocation if you're not inclined to make periodic changes. Lots of good advice here about investments. So this is a good time to take a short break in case you tuned in late. We are speaking with Deborah Lewis, a professional certified financial planner, and you are listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Welcome back. We're talking with Deborah Lewis, a professional certified financial planner, covered a lot of basic information to know about preparing for retirement and what to do even during retirement. But I also want to get at some of the other aspects uh, that we haven't talked about yet. And I think you mentioned it in the first half of the program, Debbie, and that's Social Security benefits. Obviously, folks get those uh, throughout their working life. So how do older adults determine the best time to start their Social Security benefits? What, what factors should they be considering? I would encourage people as you get near retirement, maybe two to three years prior, start to investigate your Social Security benefit options. When to claim your Social Security benefits, that's a critical part in your retirement plan. What's referred to as full Social Security retirement age varies from 65 to 67, depending on the year that you were born. Uh, and then regardless of age, you can begin Social Security as early as 62 or even 60 if you're a widow or a widower, but the benefits will be reduced. And if you start Social Security before you reach that full retirement age and you're still working, 
then your Social Security benefits will be reduced further. And if you earn too much, the benefits could be reduced to zero. So a good rule of thumb is to postpone Social Security at least until you stop working later if you're in good health or you have other assets. If you defer the start date past your full retirement age, then the benefits will be 8% higher for each year that you wait up until age 70. And they don't increase after that, so you want to start them at 70, even if you're still working. But think about this. Last year, the maximum benefit for someone retiring at full retirement age was $3,345 a month. If you're retired for 25 years, that could total more than a million dollars. So it's an important benefit to think about and to consult an advisor if you need to. All right. And another item to think about uh, in terms of, of assessing your retirement income, I'm thinking, might be like your house or perhaps things that you have in your house, maybe uh, jewelry or uh, artwork or something else. Is that important to also consider, like the value of your house uh, as you're figuring out your, your retirement income? What, what should folks know? You definitely want to consider all of your assets and your home may be one of the largest assets. So you want to think about, are you planning to stay in the home or will you relocate? Will you still have a mortgage in retirement? Are you planning to move to a 55 plus community or maybe to a continuing care community that has the different levels of care? Um, those are big factors in what your income and assets will be and what your expenses will be. Then you also want to think, as Cheryl said, maybe you have some things around the house that you're not using anymore, collectibles, antiques, inheritance, things that you could sell. Maybe you have stocks or bonds you haven't, savings bonds you haven't thought about in years. Those are all part of the inventory that you want to take of your assets and figure out how they fit into your retirement plan. And I also wondering, and this is probably the toughest, and that's reviewing healthcare needs. Uh, obviously, we can't in ever really imagine uh, what's going to happen. We might, but um, perhaps if we have some kind of a chronic disease or or whatever. But how how do you do that when people come to talk with you? How do you review healthcare needs for? Uh, someone who's thinking about retirement or even maybe in retirement, but it's at an early time. What do you tell them? Well, your your health care costs, um, even aside from a potential long-term care situation, which we'll talk about, things like Medicare premiums, your deductibles, your out-of-pocket expenses, those can account for a significant portion of your expenses when you're retired. Um, once you enroll in Medicare Part B, You've got a premium that's based on your adjusted gross income, starts at 165 a month, goes up from there. Um, that can be a big chunk of your expenses. There's also, as we said, the potential cost of long-term care. If you're living in the metro DC area, costs for assisted living or nursing home can run upwards of $100,000 a year. So determining whether it makes sense to obtain long-term care insurance or to self-insure using your assets, that's an important consideration in retirement planning. So you've mentioned Medicare, and 
Let's talk a little bit more about that. We've had people on Aging Matters before who talked about Medicare, but I think in this context, it's really important, especially for people who, older adults who might still be working after age 65. Should they enroll in Medicare, even though they might still be getting, say, insurance with their employer? I think that's the first part of the question. And then for people who are receiving Medicare, uh, especially Part B, should they annual review? There's always the enrollment period that occurs late um, each year. Should they review it? Will they be able to save more money? Give some general rules and advice uh, about what folks should know about Medicare. Again, you want to consult with a, um, an advisor on this, but most people will want to enroll at least in Part A, which is the medical part, um, the hospitalization part, I should say, that doesn't have any cost. You can enroll in that at 65, and there is a six-month window before and after your 65th birthday to do so. The other part, Part B, that's for the medical expenses, and that you can defer if you're still covered under a group health insurance plan. Um, as we said, once you do enroll, you'll pay a monthly premium that's based on your adjusted gross income. Um, there are also Medicare supplement plans you can choose from to fill in some of the gaps that Medicare A and B don't cover, or there are Medicare Advantage plans that you can choose from. They are offered by um, commercial insurance companies. They have more benefits at a lower cost, but they require that you use in-network providers. So people want to assess whether which one makes sense for them. Once you're enrolled, You've got a time period, an open enrollment period each year, October 15th up to December 7th, when you can make changes. And I'd say you probably want to consider whether to make changes if you move to a new area, if you change doctors, if you start a new medication, um, take a look at the various plans available and maybe make a change to a new one during that time period. There are specialists that can help you to to select an appropriate plan for your situation. And I am wondering, Debbie, just again, if a person is employed uh, and they are still covered under their insurance with their employer and then they stop working and they haven't enrolled in Medicare, might there be problems or delays uh, or penalties if they are already over 65 to getting that Medicare coverage? Yes. Again, I'm not a Medicare expert, but as I understand it, there are penalties for not enrolling in Part B when you first become eligible. So you want to pay attention to that. Okay. I think that's good advice. I, um, I'm i aware that that can be a, a problem. I also wanted to get to insurance policies. Now, uh, several things. You've mentioned long-term care insurance. I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. And I'm also assuming that maybe in some cases, since we're broadcasting here in the Washington area where there might be more government employees, they might have uh, additional insurance. Some folks might have additional insurance besides Medicare if they're over 65. Talk a little bit more about what kind of advice you give people in terms of long-term care insurance and um, other type of policies that uh, retirees might have. And is it a good idea to kind of review those periodically 
uh, before retiring. What, what do folks need to know there? Sure. During their working years, people might have purchased various types of insurance on their own or through their employer. Uh, might be long-term care insurance, life insurance, disability insurance, health insurance. Um, it's important to review your coverage every few years just to remind yourself what coverage you have, what options and benefits the policy offers. Um, some coverages change over time. Some plans have the option to switch plan types at certain points. And insurance that you get through your employer, when you're getting ready to retire, it might have an option to continue it, but your premiums or your benefits might change. So you want to review that before you're actually retiring and faced with making the choice about whether to keep it or not. Um, then as you get near retirement, your needs might shift. Disability insurance is one that protects your employment income. If you're no longer employed, you don't need to have disability insurance. Your debts might be lower, your savings might be higher. That can impact how much life insurance you might need. Long-term care insurance might become a stronger factor. And again, depending on how much you have in assets, whether you're able to self-insure, whether you're inclined to self-insure, and how healthy you are, that impacts whether it makes sense to, to get long-term care insurance or to self-insure. And if one is going to purchase a long-term care insurance policy, is there any kind of rule of thumb as to when you should think about getting life or long-term care insurance? You can get it. When you're younger, and uh, I'll I'll use myself as an example. I being in in the industry and being single, I got my policy when I was about forty years old. The benefit is, I was healthy then. The downside is, I've now paid premiums for near twenty years, but I've read a lot of stories that recommend getting long-term care insurance when you're sixty, when you're sixty-five. Sometimes people have had health issues that aren't impacting their ability to keep working, but would impact their ability to get long-term care insurance. My mother is blind. I've had several eye surgeries. I can see fine, but I would have a hard time getting long-term care insurance now. So it's a good thing that I got it younger. Again, the downside is now I've paid premiums for a long time and maybe, God willing, I'll never use the policy, but it gives me peace of mind to know that I have that. And also, the other type of insurance I wanted to ask you about is life insurance. We hear so many different views as to whether it's advisable or whether people really need it. Any thoughts about that? One of the things that's important to think about as you're nearing retirement, as I said, is if you've got a group insurance plan, something that you got through your employer, you want to investigate what are your options when you leave that employer, and if the cost or the ability to keep the coverage doesn't suit your needs, then you may want to investigate getting an individually owned policy to replace that coverage. Otherwise, if you have an existing life insurance policy, you should evaluate how it will fit into your retirement plans. Sometimes I find clients are hesitant to spend their retirement assets because they think, well, I want to leave something for my children or for my grandchildren. If you have life insurance, that can provide that legacy. Life insurance can also, you know, replace pension income to your spouse if you didn't select the pension option 
or can replace Social Security income, which may be cut in half when one person dies. Or maybe you don't need the life insurance aspects anymore. You're going to take the cash value and use that to give you some additional retirement income. Um, finally, sometimes people will take the policy and they'll actually donate it to a charity and then that can have tax benefits. So many things to think about here. So thank you for that information, Debbie. I wanted to turn now more to the personal aspects of uh, one's estate. And to that point, explain to us what is meant by estate planning. What do retirees or people thinking about retirement, what they do they need to think about and when should that happen? Estate planning is, what we mean by that is, Determining, A, how you want your affairs managed in the event of your incapacity, or secondly, how you want your assets and estate to be distributed at your death. The term estate planning used to focus on minimizing the impact of estate taxes. Now estate tax laws have changed and the planning part has expanded to include how you want your assets distributed as well as the legal documents that people should have, things like a will, health care power of attorney, durable power of attorney, possibly a trust. But anyone with assets to be distributed at their death should do some level of estate planning, regardless of their age. Um, we've all heard stories of famous people who died without proper estate planning, and your estate can be tied up in court for years, or your assets can end up in the hands of unintended recipients if you don't keep your plan up to date. And I'm thinking that not only from what I'm what what you're saying is to prepare all of this information, I would assume that it's also important to update that will. Uh, you didn't mention about beneficiaries, but there might be a decision that you decide that, well, perhaps the beneficiary passed away as well or no longer needs the the money or, or whatever the circumstances are. I'm assuming that it's really important to kind of keep an eye on it and look at it both before retirement and even then after retirement as situations may may change. Would, would you agree? Absolutely. As I said, everyone who has assets should have a will. The thing you want to remember is that assets that you own jointly, perhaps your house, and assets like retirement accounts and life insurance that have named beneficiaries, those aren't controlled by your will. So not only do you want to keep the will up to date, you want to keep the beneficiary designations up to date. Um, you want to review it, let's say, anytime you have a, a life change. You get married or your children get married, get divorced, you have new family members, somebody dies. It's important at that point to take a look at the will, see if it needs to be reviewed, and update those beneficiary designations. Um, I would say if you don't have any sort of life changes going on, it's still a good idea to review it every few years just to refresh it in your mind and make sure it is up to date. Since we're talking about a will, I also wanted to hear uh, from you what the difference is is putting all of your wishes in a will and sometimes you hear about a trust. You, turn, you hear people talking about a trust. 
explain to us what that means. How is that different than just indicating all of your preferences or desires in a will? What, 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 what is that? Help us understand that. A trust, sometimes I think it's helpful to think of the trust like a, a company that you set up. And once you have that trust, that stipulates how your assets will be distributed to certain people at certain ages. Um, it can avoid probate, which is something that is sometimes important to people. But then you can change your assets so that either the trust owns the assets. Sometimes that's an important factor in taking those assets out of your estate so that they're not covered by your will. Other times people will name the trust as the beneficiary, maybe of their life insurance. Um, it's not usually a good idea to name a trust as beneficiary of retirement accounts um, because then that takes away some of the distribution options. The money has to be distributed um, all at once in many cases and at a higher tax rate, but your other assets you might want to have flow through through a trust. Um, and that's something that, you know, you would need an attorney to help you set up. Thank you for mentioning about having an attorney help. Uh, in some of these cases, I'm wondering, you are, of course, again, a certified financial uh, planner. Might it also be wise to think about consulting with an attorney who has expertise in elder law? I'm just wondering, again, in terms of seeking professional advice, uh, what would you want to share with our listeners? Sure, absolutely. When you're doing the the healthcare power of attorney, the uh, general power of attorney, one of the key times that those things can come into play is if somebody suffers memory loss. Then you, I have several clients where their family member is power of attorney and they are then authorized to make certain changes on accounts. If the documents aren't properly drafted, written, and sometimes this has happened, if it doesn't mention the ability to make certain kinds of changes, then the power of attorney cannot make those changes. And then the family may be stuck with whatever that person decided originally if they're not mentally fit to make changes. And I think an elder law attorney who specializes in that area can be very helpful in that regard. Okay. Well, that's certainly something. There are a number of professionals that people need to seek uh, assistance from in order to make sure everything is legal and uh, acceptable, correct? Yes. Right. Okay. One other aspect that uh, retirees, if they live to be uh, age 72, they will be hearing about taking a minimum distribution, RMD, from all IRAs and other qualified accounts. Is, is that required? Talk about more, because sometimes I think people don't really understand what the guidelines and the recommendations are. So help us understand about RMDs. Required minimum distributions, as the name suggests, that's the minimum amount that a retirement account holder must withdraw and pay taxes on annually 
after they reach a certain age. Um, recent, recent legislation has changed the start date. For many years, it was 70 and a half. Then it was changed to 72. And in fact, now, effective January 1st of this year, it's now been changed to 73. So if you are turning 72 this year, you're not required to take distributions. You can wait another year. And then this will change again in the year 2033. It'll be changed to 75. Again, that's just the required minimum amount. People are free to take out more than that if they're past age 59 and a half. Um, and they apply with regard to 401ks, 403bs, they only apply after you leave that job. So if you're still working, you're not required to take it out of the 401k from your current job. Once you've left that job or you've retired altogether, then you are required to take them out of 401ks and 403bs. IRAs, they apply regardless of whether you're still working. Um, and of course, Roth IRAs, they're not subject to required minimum distribution. So the way that it works is there is a factor based on the age that you will be at the end of the current year, and they divide that factor into what was your account balance at the end of the prior year. In the early years, it works out to be about 4% of the account value, and then the percent, the percentage increases annually. So you have to take it out by December 31st of each year, and if you fail to take the distribution, you can pay um, a tax penalty of up to 25% of the amount that you should have taken out. I'm assuming that in terms of taking this RMD, if you manage your own accounts, you could do this yourself. But if somebody, a, a professional, financial professional is managing these accounts, that person does it? Uh, I was just wondering about the physical aspects of taking that, that RMD, that distribution. Yeah, typically, I will recommend to, to clients, set it up on some sort of automatic distribution. If it's a smaller account or you have other income, maybe you want to set it up to happen automatically in December of each year, have the taxes withheld, have the money direct deposited to a bank account in case you're traveling. Um, or if it's a larger amount, you're relying on it for income, you can set it up to happen each month. The investment companies are required to send you notice in January each year. Here's the amount that you have to take out, but then it's up to you. Um, most of the time, investment advisors are not allowed to withdraw money from a retirement account because of the tax aspects without some sort of action on the part of the account holder. Okay. One other term that uh, I wanted to ask you about, we're getting close to the end of the of the program here, but wanted folks to hear about or learn a little bit more about something called the Qualifying Longevity Annuity Contract. Uh, what, what is that and how might that serve as an alternative to the, uh, uh, the required minimum distribution? Yeah, a, a Qualifying Longevity Annuity Contract, um, referred to as a QLAC, that's a newer tax law. It allows people the option to defer some of the retirement account income to a future date could be as late as your age 85. And then whatever date you've chosen, at that point, a guaranteed lifetime income starts um, and there are benefits, options where you could have it go over two lives or where any unpaid principal 
might be payable to your beneficiaries. Um, again, tax laws changed at the beginning of this year, saying that now you're allowed to transfer up to 200000 of retirement assets into a QLAC. Previous rules had limited it to 25% of your account value, but that limitation's been removed. So if your account is less than 200000 you could, in fact, transfer the entire amount if you wanted to. Um, and you remember when we talked about Medicare premiums, saying that that's based on your modified adjusted gross income, well, whether you're taking distributions from your retirement accounts impacts your gross income. Um, once it is set up, you can change that start date one time if you need to. So one of my clients, she refers to her QLAC as her long-term care hedge. She's got it set up to start at age 85, but she could choose to have it start sooner if she needed it for long-term care. Okay. Got time for one more question, and that is basically, how can listeners learn more about how to successfully transition into and enjoy retirement? There's a lot of good resources on retirement planning. A um, couple of websites, AARP actually has a good deal of information on their websites. The Social Security Administration has some, some good references. Um, I'll refer to my website again, both as a resource and as a way to contact me. If people have other questions, it is DeborahLLewis.com. Um, I think, you know, planning for retirement is important, both in the financial aspects and in the, you know, how will you spend your time? How will you spend your, your energies? It can be a rewarding and a fulfilling time in somebody's life. Proper planning can just help to make that, that retirement dream come true. Couldn't have said it better myself. So I really want to thank Deborah Lewis, a professional certified financial planner, for joining me today. Thank you, Debbie, for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And to learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, at that site, you can access all the Aging Matters radio and TV show content that we have produced to date. And of course, log on to Aging Matters podcasts on Apple and Spotify. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. To learn more about that company, log on to inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you. For listening to Aging Matters today, and remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. 